Coast's The Brief, our weekly show about politics. Here, we'll discuss the issues that are driving the news as we fight for a more progressive America. I am Marcos Molitzis, the founder of Daily Coast, and your co-host, along with senior political writer Carrie Ellaveld. If you want to join the conversation, we record the podcast live on YouTube and Facebook every Tuesday at 1.30 Pacific, 4.30 Eastern. Enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Daily Coast's The Brief. This is our weekly show about politics. I'm Marcos Molitzis here with co-host Carrie Alleveld. Today, we're going to have a show about the media and how it covers Washington politics, particularly the Republican Party. Our guest will be Eric Bollard. He was formerly at Media Matters. He is now the founder and editor of PressRun.media. That media is now a, uh, a URL extension. So PressRun.media. It is, um, I can say this pretty comfortably, that it is the best newsletter covering the D.C. press. And so I highly recommend that you subscribe to it. We're going to have Eric on in a little bit to talk about how the press is covering the media. And a big part of that discussion is going to be the current state of the Republican Party. And, and Kerry, I know you've been writing about this, and I may have written about it. I think I have written about it, but I've definitely been thinking about it. <laughs> it's, it's something we've discussed on this show before quite a few times is why do Republicans, why are they so tied to Donald Trump, who is a loser in every objective possible way? He is a loser, yet they can't quit him. And in fact, right now, they are more focused on trying to make him right about all the crazy stuff he said and to talk about the culture war issues that he wants to, that, that he's obsessed with rather than actual policy. And Carrie, you just wrote about this a couple of days ago, or maybe it was yesterday, yeah. how some of these Republicans are trying to sort of transition to talking about policy and like runaway Democrat spending, right? And when they go on right-wing media, that doesn't go very far, does it? No, it doesn't. I mean, you know, you, you so someone like uh, Senator Kevin Kramer of North North Dakota goes on, Newsmax and wants to talk about something, a policy related issue. He was focused on the Biden administration's re recent cancellation of the Keystone XL pipeline, which was a huge win in a lot of ways for the um, environmental movement, kind climate of, change. Way, yeah. Well, some people are saying it's not entirely final, but it's pretty final. I mean, it's, I'm right. not saying it couldn't be resurrected. Oh, okay, I'm not okay. Yeah, but anyway, but it was a, it's a big win. They've been working on that ever since they surrounded the White House arm in arm three times over, you know, to try to get uh, President Biden, I mean, President Obama at the time in 2012, 2011 to stop um, the Keystone XL pipeline. So anyway, Kevin Kramer, Senator Kramer goes on Newsmax, tries to have this conversation about the Keystone XL cancellation, how terrible it is, you know, I think job losses associated with it, you know, the the temporary jobs that would have been created, you know, wants to get people interested in rising gas prices. And then, you know, it just all goes to, well, SHIT. And, and, they, Karen, and you can goes, say it. Oh, it all goes to crap. It all goes to crap. It all goes to shit. <laughs> you can say it, Carrie. Oh, boy. Well, anyway, so and, you know, before he knows it, he's talking about um, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin and whether or not critical race theory is being inserted into, you know, training in the military. And, you know, and so like they I mean, 
What is ludicrous to me is that suddenly the GOP is like, well, we want to start talking about policy so we can find a way to actually hit back against Biden because Biden himself is not much of a a cultural flashpoint for, you know, their base. Right. And so they're trying. So they, they want to get people to not like Joe Biden. Joe Biden's approval rating is absolutely associated with how well Democrats do in next year's midterm election. So they need to drag down his approval rating, which is still pretty good, even after, you know, the honeymoon period of the first 100 days, things like that. He's still doing he's still up in the mid 50s, depending on which one, which poll you look at. But even it, better than that, he doesn't generate opposition. And if no, you look at the Obama yeah. years, they had the Tea Party. In yep. the Trump years, we had the resistance. Yep. And so we have this recent history of mass uprisings against an incumbent government, the new government, and it's crickets out there. Yeah, right. And so the, and so so the, what what Republicans are trying to do is, hey, we need to get, need to get back to some policy based arguments to shoot down Joe Biden's agenda and, you know, tell people why his policies are socialist, Marxist, whatever, you know, and he's going to be the downfall of America. And, you know, the, the, number one. None of their voters seem to really be buying it about Joe Biden. They can't, you know, they can't give away this anti-Biden merchandise that they're trying to sell at things like CPAC and whatever. Literally, like they have these Biden is the next Hitler type of T-shirts and they're sitting there unbought. Not so. If it was a if it was a black woman on there or any woman. Right. Or Barack Obama, that stuff would sell like that. Right. But the old white guy, they just can't really motivate. You're absolutely right. They can't motivate. But also... That, you know, not only did Trump sort of, you know, just do away with all of the, you know, supposedly conservative principles, because honestly, it didn't take the Republicans very long to walk away from those principles. Right. But but not only did he totally do away with that, but they primed their like they primed their entire base to be focused on cultural flashpoints. And that's it. Culture wars, grievances. Um, you know, I just call it like a steady, sugary you know, soda diet. Right. And I called it a, 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 you know, I said, it's like they can't wean them off of these sugary soda drinks and pop rocks in order to get them focused on what used to be the red meat of 10 years ago. Right. And, and someone told me that I couldn't mix sugary sodas with pop rocks and that that wasn't the, that wasn't fair. But anyway, (laughs) that was just a reader. Don't listen to those people. (laughs) Don't listen to those people, but it's actually an excellent point because they, they're this, what's really motivating Fox right now is, is, well, there's critical race theory because I don't ask them to describe what that is because they literally have no clue. It's, Kamala Harris won't go to the border, right? And it's just an attempt because she's a black woman and like they think they can try to gin up some kind of some kind of fervor for her. But this is and then of course Mr. Potato Head and Dr. Seuss and and all that nonsense. And and there clearly none of this has any relevance to the demographic groups that Republicans aren't winning today, and even worse, that are that they're losing, right? Suburban, right. college educated, white women. Broadly speaking, the suburbs, which are yep. diverse, so it's everything. Yeah, uh, they're definitely urban dwellers. You know, young people, black voters, Latinos. Oh, none of those are really going to be particularly motivated by. Oh no, Kamala Harris didn't go to the border or Dr. Seuss, and they cannot escape 
that. And so your your analogy of it being like junk food, it's kind of apt because it gets them high, right? They, they get all oh, excited yeah. and they're all, but not enough to hit the streets, not enough to actually organize, but enough for them to keep watching Fox News. Right and, right. and there's been a lot of talk about how Fox News panicked after the election. They saw that Newsmax and OANN were um, building their viewership by ginning up this whole Trump won the election and it was stolen. And so instead of just sort of being confident in who they were and just being sort of a right of center conservative partisan organization, they decided to go all in on on the crazy as well. Yeah. And so now nobody wants to talk about the deficit. And you 10 years ago, that would have been a big deal because it was a big deal. Republicans, you know, lost their head. But how much of it is Donald Trump didn't care about the deficit and ran it up by $8 trillion in four years. Donald Trump didn't really care about infrastructure of, you know, we had all these infrastructure weeks that we joked about because they tried and then it never got anywhere. But he wanted to spend, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars on infrastructure, supposedly. So you have these core conservative ideology principles that used to drive the party. And that's all been tossed aside because Donald Trump didn't care. And the Republican party became the party of Trump, not the party of ideas. They literally did not have a party platform at the, at the Republican convention last year, because that would require ideas and they didn't even remotely want to bother. And if you go back to 2020, their big idea was actually something having to do with Ukraine. So they were already, (laughs) They were already laying the foundation for what eventually got him impeached. So this is not a party, but is is it enough? Is is the historical trends where the party in power loses seats in the midterm election? And is that going to be enough to save Republicans? Or, you know, we see stories where Mitch McConnell is actually undermining Trumpian candidates in Senate races, trying to actually get a slate that is electable as opposed to the cranks and ass kissers that Trump is promoting, right? So, I mean, you've also written about this quite a bit. I, well, I got to tell you, I think, I think you know, the national media is focused on this scrum in Washington about whether or not Biden's going to be able to get his agenda through and what Democrat, what Republicans are, you know, whether or not voting, voting rights legislation is going to th- get through and things like that, right? So I think that at the national level, what is being sort of, underappreciated is how much havoc Donald Trump is already wreaking on the states. Right. And I mean, the best state to to exemplify that is Georgia, where you've got now a primary challenge to a GOP primary challenge to Governor Brian Kemp. You know, they thought that once they started like fighting against the Major League Baseball and they enacted the voting laws that you know, voter suppression laws that somehow Democrat, I mean, somehow Trumpers would start to come around and see Kemp as their hero. Well, no, that's not happening. And, you know, and Trump himself still has a huge ax to grind with Brian Kemp. But what what is interesting, there's a few things that are interesting here. I'll try to keep it short. What is interesting is the level of animosity here, right? This isn't normal partisan um, uh, or normal sort of intra-party sort of wrangling over the direction of the party. It feels much more existential. It's Brian Kemp going to the state convention and getting booed and heckled by people there. It's, and he is. 
as yeah. right wing as they come. Right. He is. He is. is and not ideological to your point. It's right. Exactly. And and it is, you know, two lawmakers from state lawmakers from Georgia who went to observe the sham Arizona audit getting, you know, uh, courage awards or something like that. I can't remember, like warrior awards, something, something, you know, something like that for how, what, what, you know, what a blow they were striking for democracy and for Republicans or whatever, but, you know, at that convention. So it, it, it is, it is so, it feels to me like a very, existential intra-party fight where where it's not like oh you know once it's over the dust will settle everybody will hug and make up and we'll realize that the real enemy is democrats well you know of course they don't like democrats they hate democrats but they almost hate the other part of their party just as much depending on which side they're on and i just don't know how there's any way that that can't be a recipe for suppressing some of their own voters when they get to the the or depressing, not suppressing, depressing some of their own voters when they get to the general election next yeah. next year. I have no doubt that Donald Trump would rather have Stacey Abrams as governor of Georgia than Brian Kemp. Yes, I have no doubt he would have yeah. a field day with a black oh. woman governor. Right? He this would just get his juices flowing, and, and, and that would show that they're pronounced. Yeah. And that would yeah. be really exciting for him because that's who he is. And then he would take credit for it. He would literally, I mean, and I'm, we'll make the prediction right now because I'm sure if she wins, he'll take credit for, for Brian Kemp losing. There was a hilarious story in the Politico. It literally made me laugh. Uh, Trump met with a group of conservative House members to oh, plot out the 20... 20- the Re- it's the 20- Republican Study Committee. Yes. And... They came out and they said, oh, Trump didn't talk about the election. He was focused on the issues. And and let's see Trump say that. Like, you know, they were full of crap, right? There's no way in hell that Donald Trump went in this meeting and didn't sit there and talk about Arizona and Georgia. There's yeah. just no way. But, they're you know, they're putting on a brave face. And then, you know, and then the, the reporters like, you know, Republicans hope that Trump can stay this focused on beating Democrats next year it's like what do we stay this no he's not even focused to begin with like where has he said his words that it's important for us to come together and beat democrats because that would be something in his very fright in his very first you know entry back into the public arena he went to the did we talk about this last week he went to that north carolina state convention uh dinner and he he and you know there there are front runners there for the uh for the senate primary it's an open senate seat that they're going to have there right the fight for it and there's there's governor pat mccrory who's the former governor um there's former representative i think mark walker and you know these are these are pretty conservative well-known people in the state and he went up there and just you know, endorse someone else, someone representative, Bud. I think I can't remember his first name, but anyway, like he, he went up there, got on, got up on stage, had Laura, Laura Trump say, I'm not running. And then he was like, come on up. I'm endorsing you. And it was like, a, you know, so he, he completely upended that race with a right winger. This guy's, you know, a right ringer pro trumper who is probably has a a a worse chance of winning the state than for instance governor former governor pat mccrory would yeah and you know so and i just want to i want to i don't want to lose this because i talked about georgia we 
talked about the instance of North Carolina, but I just want to talk about a second about how complete this is, because as I was thinking about it, I was like, Trump is inserting himself in all different kinds of these states, right? There's the states like Georgia and Arizona, um, which might be in the throes of a political tipping point and where you've got Republicans who are elected officials at the state level warring with Republicans who are in the state legislatures, right? Then you have states like Pennsylvania and and North Carolina, where Trump could play kingmaker only to doom Republicans in the general election, right? And then you've got states even like Ohio and Florida, which are pretty solidly Republican, but where, for instance, in Florida, they they enacted a law that messed with their, you know, decades old mail-in voting thing, which had, which had, for the most part, for the past two decades, entirely benefited Republican candidates. So even in these states where it was created for them because it's an older senior population. Exactly, exactly. They created it and then they pushed it and they educated their voters on it. And then the the Republican led state legislature there just, you know, did away with or messed with how that whole voting apparatus works. Um, for mail-in voting. And now, you know, they've injected a bunch of uncertain, uncertainty into Florida, which conceivably a Democrat could win, even though we never do. <laughs> it, but, I don't know, want to get my hopes up. But, we but like, maybe candidates. they could help us. Maybe they may have, yeah. they literally may have helped us. I'm not kidding. It's possible. So, you know, it's, it's states up and down the line. It's these tipping point states. It's these solidly red states. It's these states where, you know, a really pro-Trump candidate doesn't run as well as a more, you know, sort of traditional conservative might. And he is already doing this. And we're seeing some one-off stories here and there about it. But I don't think anyone's really captured the scope of how much uncertainty he's already injected into the Republican arena in these states. Yeah. And and if you look at a lot of what these people are talking, they're actually litigating 2020. Oh, Trump was right about the lab leak. Oh, Trump was right about the the drug hydrochloric, whatever you pronounce that. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God, I'm impressed. <laughs> you are you kidding? I have nightmares about that. <laughs> None of this is true. Yeah. Uh, some of it is still we really don't know the the uh where the virus came from we actually right. we actually legitimately don't know and we it'd be good to find out no doubt right. about it but even if it came out from a wuhan lab by accident or even if on purpose donald trump still killed hundreds of thousands of americans by refusing to do something as simple as wear a mask right it does not absolve him but republicans if they can blame china then it's china's fault right they're just looking for ways to absolve donald trump of of any of those things that uh, that created a lot of the criticism. Now you know what the irony is. The irony is that Donald Trump's numbers didn't drop because of the pandemic. It didn't hurt him. If you look at a chart of Donald Trump's uh, job approval ratings, it's it's horizontal. Nothing, right? Because if you're a Trump supporter, you weren't going to abandon him. And if you were smart like everybody else, you weren't about to go like, I'm not going to, you're not going to give him credit for anything. So it really doesn't even matter if he's right or wrong. He lost because enough people were motivated by his terribleness to turn out and vote. It was a turnout victory for the Democrats. It wasn't a public opinion victory. It was a turnout record, youth turnout, record black turnout. 
And then there was some flips in the suburbs. Like we talked about white suburban yeah. college educated women, right? But it was basically, it was a turnout election. People's opinions really didn't change. So it doesn't even matter if Trump was right about the lab leak in the end. It doesn't change anything. He still mismanaged the pandemic. He did not keep America safe from one of our adversaries. And yet they're investing, it seems like all of their energy in trying to defend Trump's honor. This is their 2022 Honestly, let him go ahead. Let him go ahead and do that. I mean, so this ties into this. uh, We have a Facebook question from Tom Tom Brewer, and I hope I didn't or yeah, I hope I didn't totally uh, ruin that name. But anyway, Tom, and he says, do you think we should hope that Trump keeps whining about the election fraud, considering what happened in the Georgia runoff elections? And I say, Absolutely. (laughs) Please let him keep talking about 2020. And this is Republicans' worst fear, is that because elections are always about the future and not about the past, always. And so if he's going to keep just bringing up election fraud and telling people that their vote doesn't matter and that, you know, the system is rigged and he's the right, he was the rightful winner and whatever, that is that is anything but what Republicans want to be talking about in the midterm elections. So you want to jump on? Yeah. So one of the things about Georgia that I think has sort of been forgotten um, over time, or maybe people didn't really notice, is that Joe Biden won Georgia by a sliver. You know, it was 11,000 votes, right? So it was like a third of a percent. It was a sliver. Both of the Democrats lost in the aggregate to Republican candidates, um, but you needed 50 percent to to move on to the to to win outright right right and yet you had these both both the democrats win by about two points right like it was a i mean it doesn't seem oh it's only a two-point shift two-point shift electorally is dramatic given that there's only a what two months between elections right so yeah and that was before the that was a day that yeah that vote took place a day a day before the insurrection at the capitol so it wasn't it wasn't a reaction. You know, right. that vote was on January 5th and the Capitol insurrection was January 6th. So it wasn't like a reaction either to the insurrection. And we know that the biggest drop off in the vote was in northwest Georgia, which is Marjorie Taylor Greene's district. It's the most Republican district. We actually had increased turnout in the Black Belt in Georgia, which is southwest uh, rural area had an actual increase in voting in in voter turnout so absolutely trump i think he suppressed his own vote by that infighting and it actually i think it motivated democrats as well and the reason that the party in power in the white house loses seats in the midterm is because all the focus is on that president right i mean you're focused on donald president trump president obama and then everybody's like beating up on that person and it demoralized and of course government work slowly so that your supporters get demoralized from the lack of progress and the opponents freak out about um, all the damage that is being done. And so this is why, as we talked about at the beginning, some of these Republicans are trying to shift the conversation to like, let's, let's knock down Biden. Let's make 2022 about putting a limit on Biden. And yet Republicans don't want to do that. They're making it about Donald Trump. And the problem is that we've already seen this this show before. Donald Trump motivates our side more than it motivates their side. If he's on the ballot, um, yeah, it's a problem because he'll bring out people that um, that otherwise don't vote. But if he's not on the ballot, historically, we've seen it. We've seen it three elections now. If he's not on the ballot and the election's about Trump, 
Democrats win. Our best and case so- scenario is Trump shows up in some of these key battleground states a few days before election, gives a you know crazy stem winder of a thing, but of course he's not on the ballot. That's our best case scenario, and talks all about rigged elections and 2020. That's that that is like juice for our people to get out and say, oh, my God, we got to put this crazy down again. You know, the other thing I just want to make one last point and then I keep I, making I think, points. Yeah. So so I think another thing that's being missed here, and I was reminded of this by listening to a rival podcast, which is, a, you know, 538. I mean, they do something a lot different than we do. Not a rival. But, but, <laughs> We're, we're all in this. We're, we are. No, no, no. It's true. We're all in this together, right? So, no, but but I was reminded of how unprecedented it is for a party to take a president who just lost re-election, right? Who was in the Oval Office, lost re-election, and then say, "We're going to hold that guy, his agenda, his personality, all of that up." as our main reason for being in the next election two years from now, right? What, what, what parties usually almost always do in modern American history is sort of take a look around and say, oh my gosh, what did we do here? Why didn't we win this one? You know, and they try to retool a little bit in order to get more voters to vote for them in the next election. They all they, like, you know, if if a, if a president, if if someone's I mean, there are cases in the Republican Party where someone's run for president like Richard Nixon and then has been resurrected later to run for president again after they've lost. But they almost never, ever take a president who has just lost a reelection bid and double down on that president's agenda, that that president's persona and think that that's a winning election strategy for the next couple of cycles, almost never. It's completely unprecedented in, in many ways. So, I mean, they clung to that loser come hell or high water. Carrie, we have our guest in the green room. So let's bring him on. Our guest today is Eric Bullard. He's the founder and editor of press, uh, pressfront.media. That's a URL pressfront.media. Eric, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. So Eric, when when we when we opened the show and we talked about we were going to have you on, I said that your newsletter on the DC media is a must read and everybody should sign up for it. And it is absolutely the best writing on the topic. So I'm really excited to have you on to continue that conversation about Thanks. how the media is covering. And so congratulations on uh, press run. It's Thanks. Thanks. fantastic. Thanks. Uh, I saw Jennifer Rubin said that it was a must read that was weird that's right that's right wow <laughs> people, have said, people have said nice things hillary tweeted about it last year which was oh perfect. nice yeah yeah it's yeah, yeah. awesome so congratulations thanks, um, thanks. so w- we've been talking about the republican parties are being trapped by by you know their allegiance to donald trump how yeah. they cannot quit him and he's such a he's a loser in every possible way and yet they they're they're doubling down on that and you've been critical of how the press has covered that, right? Because the press, the press has sort of said like Donald Trump is basically like has an iron grip on the party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have you have a different take on that, don't you? Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, yeah, they're doing this because they want to do this. You know, these voter suppression laws. You know, they didn't spring from they didn't spring out of a vacuum. This has been a ten year uh, attempt. 
And you can talk about voter suppression. You can talk about racism. You can talk about, um, you know, trying to attack free and fair elections in this country. All of this stuff was percolating. Trump made it okay, right? Trump came along in 2015, you know, five years ago this month, he came down that escalator and announced his candidacy. Uh, And he just kind of, he tore the guardrails down. He said to the Republican Party, do whatever you want. Unleash any demon that you thought couldn't be out in public uh, uh, because everything is okay now. So he leaves office. He loses by eight million. As you said, yes, the Republican Party is clinging to him in this very strange way. We've never seen, you know, Michael Michael Dukakis was not carted around the Democratic Party (laughs) as as a hero. But and, and so in theory, Trump would have lost. There would have been some sort of um, uh, rethinking about what happened. But instead, the Republican Party looked at what Trump tried to do. He tried to overthrow an election. He lost 60 lawsuits. And the Republican Party looked at that and said, oh, this was not an aberration. What we're going to do is going to make we're going to make sure we have a backstop for 2022, for 2024. When we lose, we're not going to lose all those lawsuits. When we lose... We're going to have allies at Republican capitals all around the country who will throw out millions of votes and things like that. So the Republican Party didn't look at that horrified and said, oh, my God, we just had the leader of our party try to overturn uh, a legitimate election results. The entire Republican Party looked at that and said, oh, let's make sure we can do that next time. Let's make sure. We have our cronies in place. Let's make sure we have our, our you know, judges that will look uh, at, at these lawsuits, the 60 lawsuits that they lost. And they only need to win two or three. Right. I always I always say, you know, this scenario. Imagine if Biden had won the White House just based on Michigan, for instance. Does anyone think uh, that, that the Republican Party wouldn't have figured out a way to get Trump into the White House? So. In 2024, if Trump runs again, if somebody else runs again, maybe they lose by two million votes. At this point, the Republican Party sees that as a victory. Oh, we, you know, we got this in the bag because we're not going to allow, re, you know, we're going to have all this recount, these, these fake audits. So that's the that's the premise. But the press keeps saying, oh, this is, you know, the, the you know, why did every Republican member of Congress, the House and Senate vote against the covid relief bill when it had 80 percent public approval? Oh, they're afraid of, you know, Trump. Oh, they're afraid of the base. Why won't they pass an infrastructure bill? Why? Why are they going to stymie the entire Biden agenda? Oh, it's because they're afraid of Biden or they're afraid of Trump. They're not afraid of Trump. They want to do this. They want to be obstructionist radicals. They want to unleash, you know, race baiting with the, you know, the this hysteria about critical race theory. They want to do this. Trump has nothing to do with it. And and I really feel like the press needs to hold Republicans accountable for this outlandish behavior. Stop saying that they're doing these things to placate Trump to placate the base. This is the Republican Party today. They don't need to be prompted or prodded in any way. They are a broken anti-democratic institution and and they're doing this because they want to. And that's the scary part. And that's the part I think the press doesn't really want to grapple with. Let me let me ask a kind of unusual question, which is sort of the the antithesis, right? Is there anything that the press learned that you think the press is doing better than yeah. it did sort of in, you know, during Trump's presidency yeah. and in 2016? 
Yeah, no, it's a good question. And and I've written about um, this has been a hobby horse of mine for four years, calling him a liar, calling them lies. Mm-hmm. You know, the New York Times very quietly made a pivot about two months ago, particularly about the election stuff. And they are new. They are now using lies in headlines, in news stories. CNN is doing the same. Unfortunately, the Washington Post, I just wrote a week or so ago, uh, Washington Post is still doing falsehoods and, and things like that. And people say, well, this is just a semantics debate. These these words don't really matter. It's fine. We're talking about an attack on American democracy, unlike anything in this country's history. Why can't we have clarity? Let's let's be let's use the language that, that that's called for. So I'm happy. You know, I beat up the New York Times for four years because they want they want use lies and then they want use liar and they burn through the thesaurus in this ridiculous charade. So <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad they put lies in the headline now. Uh, I wish everyone would do it. You know, Reuters is still not doing it. AP is pretty good at it. So it's a small example of, I think, uh, the press learning a lesson. It's four years late, and some of them haven't learned it. But it's nice to see that some of these institutions are willing to change in terms of when it comes to, to dealing with Trump. For fun, uh, some of these words, what, falsehoods, inaccuracies, uh, I mean, they really did burn through this. I I have a whole folder on my computer, trust me, yeah. You know what's so, you know what's weird actually, about that. Carrie, oh, yeah, let me. I just want to follow yeah. up on that on that point because sure. this is yeah. a good point. So you talk about how some of these media organizations are shifting on Trump. Do you see that though extend to the QAnon aligned Republicans in Congress? No, and 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 that's a good point. I think the press has, is failing the QAnon challenge. QAnon is this thing over here, right? It's this it's this weird conspiracy. Uh, they we've seen some really good reporting on how it's consumed people online, how it's torn families apart. But to me, there's like this weird dividing line between QAnon and the Republican Party. Yes, there's Marjorie Taylor Greene. Yes, there's talk about, you know, how how she was a follower. She kind of convinced the press that she wasn't anymore, though she clearly is. There are dozens of Republican members of Congress, from what I can tell, who are who are QAnon followers. So the problem is the press wants to set up this 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 invisible wall. There's QAnon and there's re- the Republican Party. You and I, we all know there is no dividing wall. Uh, I mean, the entire Republican base uh, is, is, is swept up in this thing. Uh, they're completely divorced from reality. So I would like to see when we see QAnon coverage, it's the Republican Party. There is no separation. And and again, when we talk about the press being slow or timid, it's because I think they don't want to acknowledge these amazing realities. There's two major political parties in this country. One of them is completely connected with a cult that thinks Democrats are pedophiles and murderers. That's a really strange sentence. We've never had that. We've never had this in American history. Doesn't seem real. DC Press wants to just continue to cover the Republican Party as this kind of uh, this center-right mainstream entity. And yes, there are these crazies over here online, and we'll cover them, and they're dangerous. But that doesn't really have anything to do with Mitch McConnell. That doesn't have anything to do, you know, with the Republican agenda. You bet it certainly does. It absolutely 100 percent does. Do they do they not see it as an existential threat? Because it is. And I don't don't understand. Yes. No, that's what I mean. 
I, I, yes, sorry. I should have been more specific. I meant to themselves. I mean, to the media, the, yeah. Uh, yeah, to the media. Like, I, I mean, I used to report for, for the advocate at the White House, right? right? And I reported on Capitol Hill. I cannot imagine being there now and not realizing what kind of peril not only our country is in, right. but, but, but me personally and my colleagues personally, as we, you know, try to report because, you know, we're, look, journalism is one of the only jobs that is protected by the first amendment of the constitution. It's the and, only one that is specifically listed in the right. constitution. Right. And, and, and it will, it has to go, in the form that it exists, I mean, it's not perfect, but it's better, you know, it's still, it's still what we got. It right, still right. uncovers some good stuff. It will have to go if someone like, you know, Donald Trump or the next, you know, GOP fascist Somebody manages smarter. to get in. Yeah, someone smarter manages to get in, right? They, they are going to, it's, press freedoms are going to be completely undone. We're already seeing what Donald Trump's Justice Department was doing with with lawmakers, you know, sitting lawmakers on on powerful committees um, with his own White House counsel. So, oh, yeah. I mean, you know, the idea that somehow this isn't going to reach out and grab journalists is crazy to me. And I just don't understand how they're not cluing into that. You don't get a sense that any of them are. No, I mean, that was one of the great dichotomies, right? Trump unleashed this wild campaign against reporters, insulted them on national television. Uh, now we have we know the Justice Department was secretly seizing emails and phone records of reporters, not to mention members of Congress. We've never seen an attack like this. So in theory, you'd think, wow, massive pushback. They're going to dig in their heels. I mean, institutionally, they're just going to, they, if, if Trump go, is going to go to war with the press, the war is going to go, the press is going to go to war with Trump. That's not what we saw because what happens, I mean, we've had five decades of, of Republican attacks on, on the so-called liberal media, starting with, you know, Spiro Agnew and Pat Buchanan and, and all the way. So it works. Bullying works. That was the sad uh, lesson that we all learned in terms of the press and the Trump years. Yes, uh, he attacked them. We had attacks on newsrooms. We had a gun attack down in Maryland yep. uh, that was clearly Trump related. But it, uh, unfortunately, instead of standing up, instead of taking that as a, a, a sign that there was an existential threat, as you said, it, unfortunately, it kind of led to more timidity and, and, and a fear They oh, I don't want to be in a Trump tweet. I don't want these crazies coming after me. And because there are absolutely career implications for that. And, and, and I'm sympathetic to that to a certain degree. Uh, but no, I think they feel like it's the beltway. They work for these huge institutions. They're protected. American democracy might not be, but we're all doing pretty well right now. And, and, and we, we don't, you know, we can just kind of keep playing this game. Yeah. There's a sort of sense. Well, that, that was, that was Trump's justice department. That's not the Republican party, but then you have Mitch McConnell basically like, I don't see no problem with the, with the subpoenas. And I don't think there's been a, maybe, you know, I don't think there's been a single Republican that has expressed outrage at that overreach and politicization of the Trump Justice Department, the same no. crowd that was hysterical about Bill Clinton talking to an attorney general for on a tarmac, on a tarmac. <laughs> now doesn't really everything's fine and everything's fair game. And but even the, the democracy side, I, I've seen people who was the late was it Nate Cohn who was like institutions will hold right the institutions yes. will hold the democracy is not really at risk. 
And um, I don't know how you believe that, given how close we were to a coup this time around. We needed a Republican Secretary of State in Georgia to hold. I know, right? Yeah. And 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 Trump and and, and his followers are going to try to make sure in twenty twenty four they have their their guy in Georgia or Arizona or Nevada or wherever, wherever they needed. They didn't know before that that was a litmus test. Now it's very clear what. The oh, it's, oh, yeah. Is. And they're Absolutely. not hiding it. And they will push electorally. And we are going to depend on Democratic midterm turnout to protect us from that. And, and nobody ever <laughs> – that's not something that really makes me particularly confident. Right. God bless our people. God bless our base. But they don't have a history of voting in, in midterm turnouts. And I don't know if this is going to be enough to motivate them to turn out at the same rates that they did not just in 2020, right, right. but also in that in Georgia runoff, right? Um, in 2018. Well, 2018. Yeah. You also been writing recently about how the press is covering Kamala Harris. And, and this is actually kind of interesting because Republicans, clearly, this is something that Carrie and I have been talking about for a while, is Republicans can't lay a finger on Joe no. Biden, right? They've right. forgotten how to run against an old white guy. That's right. Right. I mean, they had Barack Obama. They had Nancy Pelosi. They had Hillary Clinton, like That's a woman right. or, or a black person or all of the above. Right. I mean, this is this is what worked for them in the past. And so now they've sort of trained their guns on Kamala Harris. She won't go to the border as though anybody right, right. gives a damn. Do you think the press is biting, aren't they? The press is what? Biting. I mean, are they? Are oh they, yeah, last are, week was not good. Last week was really just distressing. Uh, you know, Lester Holt kind of played that Republican talking point game, pressing her on that. You know, that NBC interview. Why won't you go to the border? Why won't you go to the border? This is all based on um, you know a Fox News GOP you know misinformation. When Biden and, uh, announced that uh, Kamala Harris was going to help with immigration, it was to stem the immigration to be a diplomatic tie to Central America. And within seconds, Fox News and the GOP said she's the border czar. She's in charge of security. She's going to push all these people back. It, it, it was a complete creation uh, in terms of what her role was going to be. But it was helpful. And, and the press played along. And the press has been asking, you know, why doesn't she go to the border? So there was this 20, 30 second back and forth with Lester Holt. Uh, uh, with this kind of, uh, you know, GOP gotcha question. Uh, and CNN two days later says her entire trip was was overshadowed uh, by this by this give and take. You know, they basically didn't mention that she gave a 30 minute extemporaneous Q&A in Mexico. And, and the Mexico, you know, president uh, said she was an extraordinarily talented person and things like that. All of that just got flushed down the memory hole because, oh, there was this gotcha moment on TV. Uh, and, 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 and this is. Your, your point is so good about Biden. They can't lay a hand on, on Biden. And also, you know, these during the Trump years, these reporters didn't have to spend five minutes trying to figure out what to write. And they didn't have to five, spend eight minutes trying to wait for some sort of conflict. You know, with the no drama Biden era, there's no gossip. There's no backstabbing. There's no controversy. There's there's no crazy tweets. So you kind of start scratching around for interesting for interesting content. And I think that's a lot of what drove a lot of the bad Harris uh, coverage last week. And another thing that just bothers me, and I think it's cynical and, and awful, is, is is this 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 kind of this um, 
theme that not only is she taking on a diplomatic role at the border, she's also going to be a point person for Democrats in terms of these voter suppression laws. And instead of looking at that and saying, wow, first woman president, first vice, uh, first vice president woman, first vice president person of color, taking on these really substantive issues, that's kind of amazing and interesting. What's the D.C. press? The D.C. press looks at that and says, oh, that's bad news because she's going to fail. Oh, Biden, you know, Biden is kind of putting her in a bad position. And it's so cynical. I mean, she's doing this because she wants to. She wants to make a difference. She wants to help the country. And the press looks at it as like, oh, you know, as, as this kind of weird process story. So uh, that kind of turned me off, too. And that that coverage was everywhere last week as well. So they kind of pictured that the, the premise was, oh, you know, she can't win with these two issues. And, oh, she flubbed this interview. So she had a bad week and she's not up. You know, she's not a very good politician. I, I, I think I just heard a portion of that interview. And she said they said, I, I don't know if I heard the whole interview or someone else ask it. And she said, well, I haven't gone to Switzerland either. Right, which right, I thought right. was like kind of a, you know, oh, a no, funny. No, no, no. And she smiled while she gave that. And I it was all it was, bad. It was it was flippant. And, no, I thought it was great. No, that's, I'm telling you what, that's what the D.C. press said. I know, and, and I, I know. And I tweeted that, I, I, I chuckled that, you know, she got points, you know, Harris got points deducted because she smiled too much during her answer. I said, someone tell Hillary Clinton because nobody knows what the rules are anymore. I mean, honest, honest to God, that was, I actually thought that was a nut, that was like a pretty, I mean, it made a point. Yes, absolutely. And at the same time was funny. And right. I was like, touche. You know what right. I mean? Like, yeah, okay. The borders uh, are no, river. That's not good. The borders the are river. Like like they'll stare at a river, you know, and, and, I mean, obviously, it's no credit for thinking on your feet. No credit for thinking on your feet. And the other thing, what you're saying, Marcos, if she had shown up for a kind of a goofy photo op, guess what the coverage would have been? You know, Harris. She she can't win. I mean, can can you imagine Harris going down and doing that that bizarro thing that Ted Cruz did in the bushes? And he was like, I mean, it's like everyone would have a meltdown. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But, but, Ted when, Cruz. but when, when Republicans do it, they're being super savvy, right? And, and they're creating this narrative. And it worked because they wanted to know why she isn't at the border. And, and yeah, so I, I, I really felt like, you know, that coverage last week was 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 really bad. <laughs> so, Eric, you know, on the same theme where Republicans really can't run against the old white guy. So they're trying to make it about Kamala Harris. They're trying to make it about the squad, right? Yeah, is is beholden to the squad, and, and Republicans are really pushing that narrative. Do you see any any evidence that that's starting to penetrate more traditional media coverage? I, I don't think so. I mean, I think that's mostly a, a Fox News thing. I don't think most Americans know who the squad are. I don't think most Americans are upset with them. I don't think, and this idea that Joe Biden, you know, he's been in public life fifty years. And there's so many narratives they've tried to throw against him that just completely failed because uh, most Americans have a sense of who he is. And as you've talked about, the fact that he's a basically elderly, I was going to say middle aged, but he's an elderly white man. uh, That's such a huge privilege in American politics because everything they tried to throw at Hillary, for instance, none of it stuck. Oh, he's corrupt. Oh, he's a liar. Oh, he's been in the game. Oh, he's lining his pockets. He looks like your grandfather and uncle. Uh, and, and that is such a huge 
part of American politics. So, but to my point is the idea that he's being led around by these liberal radical women and he doesn't really know what he's doing. He, like, uh, again, he's been in public life 50 years. People might not like or disagree with what Joe Biden does, but I think this this premise that he you know he doesn't know where the White House Oval Office is, or he's just kind of a doddering fool, uh, it's not going to stick. And in, in, in this idea that you know liberal radicals are, are really running the White House, I don't think it really goes anywhere. I mean, it, it flies; it, it works great on Fox News, but I don't think it really jumps into the mainstream. Do you do you see this? Do you see the the sort of focus of Fox News and whatever in some ways being a trap for Republicans. It does seem like they're aware that they need to get at least some of their messages out to someone beyond this, like, I don't know, 35% or whatever it is that watches ON, Newsmax and, and, you know, so you see, so recently, you know, Mitch McConnell did a, did a, went on Fox News and was trying to talk about something policy related, I think, and he was trying to, you know, poke holes in the Biden agenda and socialists and blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden the Fox News host starts asking him about Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And he doesn't even say he wouldn't even say her name over and over again. He said that representative. And I think it was because I mean, it's a slight to her. But I also think it was because he didn't want to be quoted as going after her because he was trying to have a policy based discussion. And he didn't want the soundbite coming out to be him saying something about, you know, (laughs) yeah, yeah, right. So but, but, you know, so like. Are, is there, you know, so they do these talking points and they get the, right. they get the media, the mainstream media as, you know, we kind of know it, you know, into these GOP talking points. But right. does it ever also sort of trap them going the other way where, where when they want to try to do something substantive, you know, we've, we were talking about this earlier in the show, they, they're having trouble breaking through with any substantive sort of, you know, arguments that, right. that, in some cases, Senate Republicans are trying to push now because they can't they can't win on their base alone. And I think they realize that. In particular, I think trying to reach suburban women, so all those people they lost in, in 18 and 20. Look, you know, the, the model used to and it's a really interesting point. The model used to be Republican parties use Fox News for this rhetorical outlet. Uh, but and and it fired up the base, you know, you know, do three years of Benghazi. But the plan was also then to get those independent voters. Uh, and Trump came in and he said, oh, we're not going to do any of that. You know, he focused the entire Republican Party just on that Fox News audience. Uh, absolutely no effort to try to expand the base in any, I mean, obviously four years, Trump had no policy agenda. Nobody could figure it out besides this tax cut and trying to get rid of Obamacare. So I think in a weird way, you know, the Fox and the OAN and Newsmax, that became, it's, it's become the entire game. And I think electorally they lost votes. Uh, you know, when they, Trump lost by 8 million, I think that was an indication that you can't really run a national campaign on firing up your base. And, and, and again, so for 20 years, Fo- you know, the GOP used Fox News in a very specific way. But now it's like I said, it's basically become the whole game. And uh, we'll find out in 2022 and 2024 if they can still be a national party and win elections, just focusing on that 35 percent and and really giving up. And as you say, any semblance of a policy discussion on issues that affect, you know, swing voters anymore. 
is there something that sort of keeps you up at night when you think about <laughs> media coverage and the midterm elections coming up next year? I mean, we, we can let's table 2024 for another day. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Right now, we need to, I mean, ideally expand our majorities in Congress, but given historical trends, just holding sure. our line would be a huge victory. What is the biggest danger from the media in our chances of maintaining the majority? I think, you know, in kind of a weird way is just, you know, if there's a drumbeat from next January, the Democrats are going to lose the House. You know, we've seen that in the past uh, and, and, and they kind of start from this premise that, oh, Democrats are doomed this cycle. And I think it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. But when Trump was in the White House, we didn't really see that doom narrative, even though it's, it, it seemed pretty obvious to me Republicans were going to have a huge amount of trouble. So I, 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 I in a weird way. I think one of the dangers is we just start the we view the entire midterm election next year. The D.C. press does of, of you know, Democrats don't have a chance or, or, you know, how long until Republicans take hold? Because I think it creates this, this self-fulfilling prophecy. I think it hurts with momentum and, and I think like that. So unless and, and particularly I'm concerned if the polling doesn't suggest that's going to happen. Uh, you know, if Biden is still doing very well, if the Republican, the Republican Party as a party is polling at 28, 29 percent approval rating. So I just hope there isn't this assumption that, oh, yeah, Republicans are going to take the House. And, and that's how we're going to view. That's the prism we're going to we're going to use to view the midterm election, this cycle as it unfolds. Hopefully, hopefully something that will counteract that. And it's something, too, that we discussed earlier. It's just what a shit show Trump is creating on the other side of the aisle right now in the states. So if the if the national media manages to clue into that, I don't know. I don't even think they're entirely getting that story right now. I mean, you know, you see headlines here and there of of a Trump challenger or whatever, you know, that being primary from the right. Da, 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 da. But I don't think that they're really cluing into it. And and if there's one thing that can perhaps combat, I just want you to be able to sleep at night, Eric. I don't want you to get, I mean, you know, Marcos doesn't want you to sleep and I want you to sleep. So I'm just telling you, it's possible. I I mean, possible that the national media will clue right. into what a, what a crazy town show he's putting on and creating for Republicans on the other side of the aisle. And hopefully that will, you know, feed their like instincts to have a real race. I don't know. Right. I mean, you know, that obviously the, the, the press loves Dems, Dems in disarray. I mean, that that's their fallback position, but yeah, I mean, what's that? I saw a headline on CNN today, you know, one of Trump's first rallies is going to be against a sitting member of the Republic, you know, House member in Congress who voted against impeachment. And, and as I tweeted about an hour ago, I mean, if Joe Biden looked at a Democrat sideways, that would be a three-day news story. Trump's coming out of hibernation to try to defeat a sitting Republic. So, I, I mean, I, I think the press will report that. I think if a Democrat had done that, it would have been, you know, Katie bar the door. But if he keeps doing this, uh, I think it'll be impossible, as you say, for the national press not to not to acknowledge the story that, wow, <laughs> this is yeah. he is not going to help. And 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 he is just, you know, the chaos, chaos agent that Republicans don't really want, uh, because, as you say, if they do nothing between now and, and the midterms, statistically and historically, they'll, they'll take the House, but they can't control this nut job. Yeah. So, so, Eric, we're just about out of time, but I want to give you a chance to talk a little bit about Press Run, what you built, what it's about, and why people should subscribe to it. 
Oh, sure. Thanks a lot. So, yeah, I launched it about a, a year ago. It's on Substack. Um, I write three times a week, and folks can sign up at, at pressrun.media. Uh, I, I call it fearless media commentary. It, it's, it's a look at the political press through a, the prism of uh, uh, progressives and liberals and Democrats and just holding people accountable. I mean, uh, in, in, I mostly focus on the mainstream media, actually, you know, the New York Times and CNN, the Washington Post. And, and yes, obviously, I write sometimes about Fox News and the dangers of the right wing media. Uh, but it's really I try to kind of educate and help people understand uh, why headlines matter, why a topic matters, why why where these narratives come from. Why can't we shake them? You know, why is why did The New York Times spend four years trying not to call Donald Trump a liar, even though he told 20,000 lies? So, you know, it, it, like I said, fearless media commentary, trying to call people out, hold people accountable, hope for a better uh, media, because unlike the right wing, we want a better, robust journalism because we think it's important to our democracy. Uh, and um, and so, yeah, press run media. Take a look if uh, if you're interested. Yeah. And, and just our, it's a newsletter, so you can subscribe and it just gets dropped in your email inbox. Right. Three times three times a week. A week. It's, it's freaking fantastic. I absolutely think it's a must read. So I think everybody listening should go and sign up. Eric, thank you it. so much for joining us. It's been such a pleasure. This topic is not going away, so yeah, exactly. we'll probably invite you back in to, to talk some more about this as the, as the cycle starts shaping up. That'd be great. Have a great week. Thank you, you so much. It's, I mean, he's, he made a really good point that how the media frames the election is going to have a big part in, I think, the results. And, and an honest look at the election acknowledges that, yes, historically, the party in power loses seats. Like, we, we're not going to pretend that's not the case. But also, you, you can't ignore that this is ahistorical. It doesn't always happen. It didn't happen in 2002 after 9-11. And we have an ex-president that has a weird iron grip on his party. And maybe it's not his grip, but the party is all in, right? For whatever yeah. reason, they're, they're, I, and I think Eric well, they, chose. To, they chose, they it. chose it. Yeah. This is not, they're not afraid of Donald Trump. They're excited that somebody finally made it okay to be anti-democracy, to be anti-racial um, equity and, and all those things that are important to most people, not just progressives, most Americans. So how they frame that and looking at this is saying like, this is a weird election and just objectively, yeah. This is a very weird election because Trump is an X factor. Uh, Biden's resilience, popularity wise, is an X factor. However much that Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin screw up the Biden agenda, is an X factor. There's turnout is an X factor. Can Trump get his hidden deplorables, people who only vote when he's on the ballot, can he get them out to vote? And we will he our side? Yeah, right. Will he motivate our side? I mean, I was just thinking like, you know, was it you or Eric who just said if they did nothing between now and November, historically, they would win. I think it was Eric who just said yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, Eric. No, he's right. Yeah, yeah right. And, and instead, they've got Trump. I mean, honestly, they'd be much better at just like trying to block Biden's agenda without Trump. It just, you know, like it. I'm not saying that that would be good for the country, but that's so clearly the Republican brand now that it seems like that that would be that would be more opportune for them is to just wait, try to block Biden's agenda, which, frankly, you know, Joe, Joe, (laughs) I 
just about said Joe Cinema, Joe Curtsy. No, um, Joe, Joe, Joe Mance. Sometimes I've taken to calling them Joe Curtsy. I don't know, whatever. Curtsy Cinema. No, but Joe, Joe Mance, Joe Mansion, and Kirsten Cinema are are you know helping the Republicans right now. You know, block his agenda. So. They could just sit back and wait and see and see what happens with the economy and try to find something that they could glom onto, right? And they, and I think that that would probably give them a better chance than what they decided to do, which is to double down on Donald Trump. And there are some swing state like the recently in, a, in an article that I wrote on. I think it was a post article. There was a swing state Republican who went on the record. Uh, well, not on the record, went on background. Right. So in the, so basically anonymously told was talking to this reporter and saying, you know, didn't Trump learn anything from Georgia? He can't focus on 2020. He's got to focus on 2022. And this person, whoever they were, is in a swing district, a Republican in a swing district, and is clearly sweating it out because they have no idea what the heck kind of effect Trump is going to have on their district. And they need those districts. They need more of them to flip. They can't lose any of them if they're going to regain the majority. Carrie, that's all the time we have. Thank you so much for co-hosting with me. This was a very informative episode. I'm always fascinated by the media and its impact on our elections and our politics. Thanks to Eric Bowler uh, for joining us. He's at pressrun.media. That's a URL, .media. It's like a .com, but .media. Pressrun.media. And subscribe to his newsletter. Highly recommend it. Thanks, Walter Einenkel, for producing this show. And thank you, for listening and uh, viewing if you're watching this as well. If you're enjoying the show, be sure to subscribe and give us a rating wherever you get your podcasts. You can always talk to us at dailycoast.com or on Twitter at Daily Coast. See you all next week. Thank you for listening. If you're enjoying the show, give us a rating wherever you get your podcasts. You can always talk to us at dailycoast.com or on Twitter at Daily Coast. See you next week.